Welcome. Listen to this next Agile Vocalist podcast. I was the Taco Bell girl for quite a few years, and there was this series of ads they did called Hello, Hello, Taco Bell. And I, you know, they had this whole series of them. And uh, Greel Marcus of Rolling Stone actually wrote this hysterical little review about these ads that were everywhere saying, you know, <laughs> the, the, the salacious nature of this singer, you know, Pamela Rose, who lives in the Bay Area, to convince you that more than anything in the world, she wants that taco. Pamela Rose is a San Francisco jazz and blues vocalist who has thrilled local and international audiences for decades with her swinging, soulful style. Rose has performed at clubs and jazz and blues festivals throughout the United States, Germany, and Denmark. She has six recordings to her name, including the NPR featured, You Could Have It All. In recent years, Rose has toured nationally with her critically acclaimed show, Wild Women of Song, Great Gal Composers of the Jazz Era, performing at a range of venues including SF Jazz, the Monterey Jazz Festival, Stanford Jazz, Cal Performances, Copenhagen Jazz Festival, Yoshi's, the Fillmore Jazz Festival, and more. Please join me for this conversation celebrating Women's History Month and International Women's Day with Pamela. I'd love for you to kick it off with talking about how you got your, um, your roots in singing. Oh, well, like I tell my students, I think we all come out singing. <laughs> You know, so some of us stop doing it. Um, I, I always loved to sing, but I was very introverted, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, me and my sisters would, I think what we all did, you know, you'd put on the records and you'd grab your hairbrush as a microphone and you'd do all the backup parts and <laughs> one of you would do that, you know, we would do that. Um, do you have any and, favorite songs from those memories with your sisters? <laughs> we we knew every song from Bye Bye Birdie. You know, that I definitely remember. The, okay. Hi, Sally. And we do the little dance. Um, <laughs> and I wanted to be Anne Margaret always. But, ah. you know, I didn't take singing that seriously at some point in the uh, late 60s, because I'm old. Um, like a lot of people, I picked up a guitar and started writing my own songs and, you know, listening to Janice Ian and, um, you know, the Folkies and Joni Mitchell. And of course. I started writing songs and I would just hang out, you know, with the musicians, like uh, musicians at school and we would jam and we'd play. I can't play very well. I never really learned much about like seriously playing, but I could get my ideas across. And um, I just loved that, you know, I loved hanging with musicians. But I really loved to write music. And I would say that was the first big passion. I had no desire to perform, but I really loved to write. And that carried me through to college. I was a literature major. I always loved a well-written lyric and song and, you know, the story in the song. Is a huge blues fanatic, so um, that has definitely colored 
a lot of how I feel, especially, and we'll talk about it later, I'm sure, but um, women in blues, like is really so much of a story of personal freedom. And uh, I was very inspired by that. And somehow, you know, I would find bands and I would show them my songs and I would say, you know, how about doing these songs? And they would inevitably say, yeah, but we want you to sing them. So I ended up, you know, doing a bunch of demos and then playing clubs with people. And I was in a number of um, original kind of blues and rock and roll bands and playing clubs in San Francisco. You know, I mean, I, I played a lot of blues and rock clubs and, and that's really how I kind of got my start. And I was lucky enough to be asked to join a very big, successful R&B kind of Motown review. It was called Zazu Pitts Memorial Orchestra. And suddenly I was doing, you know, six nights a week, two shows a day, all over the place, all over the country. Um, I sang a lot of jingles. I, you know, I, I was, I was doing what I wanted to do, which was uh -huh. to make a living singing and playing music. Any jingle that you loved? I mean, they all become <laughs> earworms. They're written to be earworms. But I um... was the, the one that, uh, and I just found my old demo tapes with the one I totally loved was I was the Taco Bell girl for quite a few years. And there was this series of ads they did called Hello, Hello, Taco Bell. And I, you know, they had this whole series of them. Oh, wow. And uh, Greel Marcus of Rolling Stone actually wrote this hysterical little review about these ads that were everywhere saying, you know, <laughs> the, the, the salacious nature of this singer, you know, Pamela Rose, who lives in the Bay Area, to convince you that more than anything in the world, she wants that taco <laughs> was, is hysterical. I mean, he was, you know, slightly dissing it, but it was right. quite right. all over the place. Oh, that's fun. And I, I was lucky enough to be one of the background singers on the California Raisin Advisory Board, heard it through the grapevine ads, and, and they used my track my background track for like everything they did for years so all the tv ads and all the radio ads and that was good coin oh. that helped me out a lot wow <laughs> yeah jingle singing teaches you a lot about um performance by the way i'll bet uh you know you have to be very precise as a vocalist whether it's singing uh -huh. backups you have to blend right you have to be right on the money you know but there's a great amount of sincerity and authenticity yeah. you know you you must deliver in uh -huh. in 10 seconds and that taught me a lot about um how to summon it up you know forget about this thing about i have not in the mood you know you get in the right. mood <laughs> right and and just because you know as singers in the um living through the pandemic of 2020 um, you know, we're all digital now. And so I, I'm not getting away with the murder I used to, which was like, oh, well, it's already out of my mouth. So I'm not responsible. But now it's every little thing. Is it, would you say that's true for jingles is like and every little thing has to be just nailed. 
right? No, it did. And, <laughs> and let me say, oh, you youngsters that are living in that wonderful era of Pro Tools, yeah. you know, recording back then um, was, you know, th there was no pitch adjustment or, you know, I'll just ship this over half a beat, which you can, you can make right. anything sound perfect now. Yes. Um, and I think that has been a great thing, but as it's been a terrible also dilemma, I think for classical musicians and jazz musicians, because you don't want to sound perfect. You want to sound exactly as you are in the room in this moment. And um, so it's, it's wonderfully, it's a great tool but it also, uh, back then, back then, kids, you know, you, you had to really do it right. And if they didn't have it right, the way that they cut tape, even, you know, like it was yeah. literally slicing tape, you know, <laughs> slicing it and splicing it back together if you wanted to lose a few measures or, you know. Right. That's what you did. Yeah. So to you had to have a pretty good idea when you were walking in, but not as, you know, and even that was such a jump from the the era that I do a lot of talking about, which was, you know, those really early beginning jazz and blues records, yeah. <laughs> you know, you were in a room with a microphone, you uh -huh, know, or maybe, uh -huh. right. right. Or if you were lucky, maybe it was, you know, one of those kind of backwards turned gramophone horns, you know, and they would have to move you forward or back in the room. I mean, uh, it all came out from this kind of crazy moment where I was, I was actually singing in Germany um, and I finished a set and I just happened to notice that all of the songs I had just sung in that set were written by women and I made an announcement to that degree, you know, to that effect. And it got this huge response and I, you know, which made me happy, but then I thought about it later, I thought, why were we so surprised? And um, it kind of got me thinking about uh, all of the extraordinary women that um, women composers, that it would be great. I, I just thought, you know, the next record I do, I'm going to feature women composers. And it was going to be a jazz standard swinging from the swing era. I got this great producer, Leslie Ann Jones. She was very excited about it. And that was simply, it was just a concept album. And while we were in the studio, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I'm going to create some liner notes, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm doing a, I'm just noodling around on my computer, you know, uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, while we're mixing away. Yeah, and so you know, let me just back up a little bit. If yeah. you sing for standards for a living, or if you're a jazz singer, you you know, you do learn the name of a lot of composers, mm -hmm. and even if they aren't like one of the Gershwins or Cole Porter, you know, you learn Harold Arlen, you learn Johnny Mercer, you learn Sigmund Romberg, you learn a lot of their names. And then you come to a song that is like really well known, like um, on the sunny side of the street, right? right? You know, and, right. and you say it was written by Dorothy Fields. Well, who's Dorothy Fields, right? right? Or you always hurt the one you love written by Doris Fisher. Who's Doris Fisher? And when I started to dig into their catalog, quite a lot of these women were phenomenally prolific and like important to music. And yet their names are almost usually, they're usually, unless they were also a singer like Peggy Lee. Right. Or right. Um, Alberta Hunter, you know, uh, uh, some of the, the singer songwriters. But if you were not that, 
your name was unknown to us. And I kind of started asking the question, well, why is that, first of all? And um, second of all, wouldn't it be great to tell these stories? These women had to be, you know, just to survive as a woman in, in what was really a man's world, they were pretty darn feisty. Hardy, and, yeah. Um, yeah. And they were fighting against a lot of isms um, to get to do what they wanted. And their stories are great. So yeah. I started this concert series. I think we did it the first time at Yoshi's in San Francisco. And I just shot, you know, put up some images on the screen and um, uh, told a few stories, you know, like developing some patter. And it was so well received that I turned to my, my bandmates and I said, I want I'm just dying to do this, but I really want to do it. I want to have, you know, where the images are part of the storytelling and the storytelling isn't just a few cute details, but we really kind of go into it and we start, you know, the whole show has a certain arc and a certain historical uh, path that it goes and develop the song, the show over a few years and turned it into the Wild Women of Song Concerts which I still get hired to do. Every to do, time. of course. Yeah. Um, and out of that, uh, so of course we had a CD we wanted to sell. Remember CDs, kids? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but a lot of people were saying, you know, I love the CD. I want the stories. And so I wrote that right. book. Armstrong. Armstrong. Yeah. And she was, uh, and not just his wife, but you know she was if you have pictures of it at some point you might want to put it up but um you know she had the uh the luck to be she was a really good pianist she was uh you know kind of classically trained pianist who just fell in love with hot music with with jazz and blues and um you know this story is that her mother, you know, her mother who was just trying so hard to elevate her daughter and not have her fall into, you know, she wanted her to be a good Christian girl and, uh, and maybe a school teacher. And right. so um, Lil, uh, she found a copy of St. Louis Blues, which was um, right. W.C. Handy song, you know, the music under her bed and she whipped her daughter with a broomstick, you know, I mean. So I remember like, reading that. I'm, I'm, it was forbidden yeah. music, you know. I mean, if you were for the churchgoers, um, mm-hmm. there, it was like the devil's music. Yeah. And uh, but little Lil um, used to go down to back then. In order to sell sheet music, you always had somebody at the piano in the music store who was sampling the songs for the customers, and. She was so frustrated the way somebody played. She goes, well, let me play it. And she played so well. Yeah. They said, how'd you like a job? You know, and yeah. she became the little darling of this store in Chicago. You know, this great story how Jelly Roll Morton comes in one day and he's, you know, one of the greatest jazz pianists ever, Free yep. Art Tatum. Yep. And everybody said, well, you've got to hear our, he played. And she was blown away, mostly about his rhythm. Yeah. And, um, and then she played and he, he really liked her, but she said that she was inspired by being that kind of rhythmic player. Mm-hmm. And that's what, what eventually 
she became part of what was the really early sound that like, you know, jazz musicians had come up from New Orleans and they had come to Chicago. And King Oliver had this extraordinary band that she was the piano player for. And those there's great pictures of um, of King Oliver and Lil in, you know, in, that's really famous. Um, and she had a sound that, you know, what she, her job was, because they really didn't have bass players like we think of, they usually had a tuba. And, you know, maybe you had drums, sometimes you didn't. So the piano player's job was to send it home. She was such a good rhythm player. And then King Oliver brought up, a, he, was a he was a great trumpet player and he wanted to, a strong second trumpet. And he brought um, Louis up from New Orleans, who was a total rube. He was a star in New Orleans. He was an amazing raw talent, but you know, Lil took one look at him and she said, oh my God, you know, he came off the train and, you know, he was like dressed like a country bumpkin and his hair was all slicked back mm -hmm. and he was carrying this greasy sack full of fish sandwiches from the ride. <laughs> and she said, there's no way. But then she heard him play, <laughs> yeah. right? And she was blown away. Yeah. And what she did with Louis and um, for uh, and this is how their love evolved, was that they got together and they did a lot of woodshedding. She made him go back and practice and really learn to read and write music, not just kind of learn, but really understand it, and to play really, uh, have a much better theory idea so that his solos could really soar. And, um, and then later, you know, she's the one who kind of pushed him to go out under his own name, which was because he was quite the star. I mean, people were right. coming to see him. Right. And she said, you should have your own name. And she kind of pushed him to do that. He said he would have never done that if, you know, if she hadn't pushed him. Mm -hmm. And uh, eventually she also uh, set up, played on, and wrote a lot of the material for this first Hot Five and Hot Six recording sessions, which were really the first great jazz records of the day. And the way that she constructed those arrangements were all meant to feature uh, Louis, you know, uh, so wow. that, that yeah. there would be a break, you know, this big opening break and that his trumpet would just soar. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> he, he was a star, but a lot of his fame, you know, he really owes to her because she kind of got put him in that position. And yeah, the marriage didn't last, but um, he was always yeah. her heartache. You know, she he was the one. He was yeah. the one. And yeah, she died seven weeks after his death, playing on stage, playing a, a tribute to him. She played yeah. St. Louis Blues, actually. Yeah. And at the very last note, they said she just expired right there. Oh, my it gosh. Was, <laughs> that was inspiring. Be sure to listen again soon. Agile Vocalist is created and produced by Rachel Medanik. Contributing editor and design artists include Amanda Whitesell, Daisy Owen, Sasha Brandt, Chloe Medanik-Watt. Podcast music theme by Looperman. With special thanks to my husband, Dave. <laughs>